So we're going to begin our study with Ephesus tonight. Now it's going to take you less than two minutes to figure out that I'm not a trained teacher like Derek and Brother Mose. I am more like a fish out of water. And you know what happens when you get a fish out of water, it flops, you know. But uh, this is a, I am intrigued by this church. Uh, it's, It's one of my favorite of the seven to talk about. And, uh, but before we, before we get to, into the scripture here, let's, let's go to prayer, and, and I, I really mean this. I want you to pray for me, because this is not uh, a comfortable setting for me. I, I get nervous up in front of people. So uh, when I say pray for me, I really mean it. <laughs> so dear Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for salvation. We thank you for Jesus who made it all possible. We thank you for your word. And in your word, it says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And for the next few minutes, Lord, I ask that you would order my words and let me say something that would inspire us all to renew our love for Jesus, Lord. All these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if, if you keep, uh, kept your handout, and I've picked up the wrong thing, uh, from last week, Derek, on, on one of the pages, he had a little outline of the churches and, and the age that they represented. Now, back in the 50s, uh, 40s, late 40s, 50s, and, and at, uh, early 60s, we used to teach church ages a lot, but we have, have finally gotten away from that. And another part of his outline said that the theory on these two churches, what one of the theories was that uh, these letters only applied to the, to the churches that they were written to. And, and the other theory was that the seven, the letters to the seven churches represented all churches in all dispensation of time and that is the theory that I'm going to go from. I don't think that uh, if we say that it only applies to the church that it was written to, then why could we not say, okay, a Galatians just apply to Galatians, you know. But I, I'm going to go from the angle that it applies to all churches. And it, you can go anywhere in the country and find churches that where these conditions will exist in them. And if the congregation is any size at all, you will find individuals that are in these seven conditions that we will study about. Now, to me, chapter 2 and chapter 3 is some of the most important scripture to the churches in all the Bible because it outlines exactly what uh, Christ wants and expects. So, uh, I'm, we'll we'll go from there. So, I so these letters to the seven churches are relevant for us today. Now. I, 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 I don't need it anymore. <laughs> so in ch- chapter 2, now, the church at Ephesus 
got the seeds for coming into being probably when Apollos went down to Ephesus and he preached the baptism of John. Later on, Paul came to Ephesus and he says, he found these believers and he says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they says, well, we haven't even heard of there's any such thing as the Holy Ghost. And he says, well, what baptism were you uh, baptized into? And they said the baptized, baptism of John. So Paul laid hands on them. They received the Holy Ghost. And the Ephesus church was born. And he continued for a little while. They, they met in the synagogue. And there arose such a dispute there uh, I, I guess it amounted to arguments. And so they quit meeting in the synagogue and uh, started meeting in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And so he moved the church out of the synagogue. And, and that was the, uh, these, the uh, setting or the beginning of... Uh, of the church at Ephesus. Now, I wrote down a few things about uh, Ephesus. It was, Ephesus was a, the second largest city in the Roman Empire. It was one of the three most influential cities in that part of the world at that time. It is it is located in what we would now call Turkey. The Bible refers to it as Asia Minor. Uh, it was one of the ancients of the seven, uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, the, they had a temple there to the goddess Diana, which was larger than the Parthenon. And uh, uh, in the in the temple itself, now Ephesus was enough. It was on the coast of the Aegean Sea. Not every city that's on the coast could be a port city where ships could come in. But Ephesus was a port city, so therefore they had a lot of trade. They was a wealthy. Town. They was very prosperous, and uh, in in that city was this temple to Diana. It, it, within that temple, they had a banking system. At that time, it was the largest bank in the world, uh, and uh, Diana. Di or Artemis, it's the same same goddess, just one's Greek and the other one's not. Uh, was the goddess of fertility. Uh, she was probably the most worshipped deity in Asia and perhaps the world uh, during Paul's time. Uh, this cult or following of Diana brought great wealth to the city, citizens of Ephesus uh, because the temple of Artemis became the world's largest bank during that time uh, and devotees came from all over the world to worship and celebrate during her festivals. Never um, March or in April depending on I guess how the moon phase was, they would have these festivals uh, to the uh, for the the goddess of Diana. Uh, uh, the worship rituals were uh, now. If you study paganism the pa paganist 
rituals, they were erotic uh, times. And, uh, and the attraction was the, the attraction of these uh, uh, work for these worshipers was the promise of fertility, long life, sexual fulfillment, and protection during pregnancy and childhood. And the seductive sexuality of her worship. That, that was the attraction for this goddess. I mean, it, uh, I, I, I have nothing to compare it to. It, it, Ephesus was probably comparable to, comparable to, in my mind, to New York City. You know, uh, A lot of, in a lot of ways, they were on the cutting edge of everything. Uh, it was the city itself was one of the uh, largest and most in, important cities in the ancient Mediterranean world. It was lie, lying on the uh, western coast of Asia Minor or Turkey. Uh, it was one of the oldest Greek settlements on the Aegean Sea, and after, uh, afterwards, it became the provincial uh, seat of the uh, Roman government in Asia. So that's a little bit about the city itself. This was the setting that this church was placed in. And, you know, this church, they had the who's who of pastors. This church would be, uh, to put it in something we would be familiar with, would be like North Cleveland or Mount Perrin or some of these churches that have the, the I mean, really good pastors. Paul was there three years. The Apostle John spent about a total of 30 years there, some before his exile on Patmos and some after his exile on Patmos. Timothy was also a pastor of this church. So they had a great history. And in the church world, at the time that this letter was, was uh, th that it was told to write this letter, it had a reputation of being one of the largest and most sound churches in the world. But that's when we will kind of get into the uh, in, in, into the uh, reading of this this church, and we begin with verse one. And to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, of course, this is Jesus. And the word here that walketh in the midst the, the actual picture here is, is of a person who habitually walks the same area. He's walking around the church. And then when it uses in the midst, he comes inside the church. He, he's at the heart of the church. He knows everything that's going on in this church. And uh, he he is he is ever he's always present in this in this setting. He says, "I know thy works," and and that word for works there means their total activity. And he knows 
because he's in the heart of that church. He knows from personal observation everything that's going on within those folks that are in, in that congregation and, and, and is, is in the church. And thy labor. says, I know thy works. I know thy labor, how, how, you, how you've worked. And thy patience. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. He, he recognizes what they've done and he's given them another combination of how they cannot bear those who are evil. You know, and now, now we, for us to get any good out of this, we've got to apply this to our own lives and our own situation, you know. I mean, otherwise you're just reading history. But the Bible needs to come alive to us. So to put this in, in, into our perspective, as we would look at it, you know, now I'd, I've never... I've never belonged to another church other than the church of God. So I, I don't know. I can't tell you nothing about these other churches. And I don't always agree with everything that the church of God does. But i tell you what. I am proud to be associated with a church that will stand up and say, we are not going to give in to this new culture that's trying to be forced upon us. It might be a new culture, but it's an old problem, and you call it sin. That's what it is, you know. And and I'm I'm proud that the and and. Uh, I'll help make it known every chance I get that of the stand that they took this last time of of, uh, of of this new culture that they're trying to place upon us. You know, we we have got to love those people. We don't have to love their deeds. You know, and we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. But, uh, you know, this, this church at Ephesus also stood against evil. And, and they were making a real name for themselves with just in the, in the first three or four years of their existence. You know, we have the story in Acts, I believe it's, then the 20th chapter, it might be 19, I'm not sure which. But, you know, this silversmith named Demetrius, he says, and, and I'm going to paraphrase it here instead of turning over here and reading it word for word. He says, hey, now we've made a good living off of, off of this goddess Diana here. And he says, these people are causing such an uproar in, in this whole place and, and maybe in all of Asia. And, and hey, we may, we may lose our livelihood. And, and Diana may fall from her magnificence, you know. Uh, they were really making a difference in that community. That's part of, that's part of their church history. And has tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. Now, here's a church with the gift of discernment operating in it. And we live in a time when they, if, if, if we need anything, we need the spirit of discernment in the day in which we live. 
You know, it is hard. It's got to the point where people cannot hardly tell the difference between the anointed and the talented. And there's a difference. And, you know, this, this, was a, this is a, important for us today, too. Well, you can't you can't believe everything that comes down the road, you know. Now, you know, I I, I occasionally talk to people in different cities when I visit some of my when I visit my sisters or something, and and. And there's a few, most most of all of my friends are are within this church. I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm more of a recluse than I am a social person. So I don't know a lot of people. But most of my friends go go to this church, or I, and I've got a few scattered around in other churches where I've been over the years, but. Um, you know, this church here, uh, we have got a lot of people that I think that are, are Bible scholars. We, we've got a lot of Bible readers in this church. You know, people that study God's Word and 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 if you get out, you'd be surprised of the lack of biblical knowledge of Christians, you know, in in some of these places. I think uh, I think they depend mostly. Uh, it's like all they get is what they get on Sunday morning, uh, you know, and. You, you can't make it on just that. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I, th I think we've got a real good group of people here. Um, and has borne and has patience. Now, this is saying, hey, you done it back then, you're still doing it. You're you you are working hard for the name of Christ, doing doing my uh, trying trying to work and make a difference. And and then it gets and has for my namesake has labored and has not and has not fainted. They they've endured hardship. For the name, for the sake of Christ, you know, and I'll be honest, I don't like hardship. I want it easy, you know. Uh, but there comes a time when you when you have to take a stand, even if it's against some of your family members. You know, you ha you have to. You have to take a stand. You have to tell them. And here we get to the real heart of the problem. Here, up to now, now Jesus is commending them for what they have done and for their history. They've had a great history. They've they've made a a difference in that in that city, and. Uh, he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. Because thou hast left thy first love. Now, if you, I, I, if you read that in the King James Version, which is what I'm reading from, I, I, I read some commentaries that said, 
they've left Jesus. Well, that's not what's happened at all. They're, they've just received four or five accommodations for what they've done for Jesus. So they've not left Jesus at all, you know. Uh, what has happened here is, you know, a better, one of the translations, I believe it's the English Standard Version, uh, says it like this. You have left the love that you had in the beginning. Now, what we're getting here is a picture of something. And the, in the Bible, our relationship with Jesus is most often compared to a marriage. What we have in the physical in a, in a marriage, we have spiritually with Jesus. We are married to Jesus. Now, marriage was created with intimacy in mind. It, provision for that was made in marriage. What we have here is a church and what he's, what's happening is over a, a long period of time, these folks have been so busy attending to the ministries of the church that they forgot about what the purpose was. If, if you... Uh, and I look around and, and uh, most of you all are going to have to recall probably what it was like to fall in love. You know, that's what this is talking about. You know, when, when you couldn't wait You couldn't wait to get to that person, you know. When and I, I can remember uh, getting off of work on Friday and drove dangerously to get to Sevierville, you know, as quick as I could. Uh, but. Here we have, here's what's happened. Now we're going to picture this situation here like a marriage. Here's what's going on. The husband's still coming home. The wife's still fixing, fixing biscuits, fixing his supper, washing his clothes, and doing everything that she's supposed to do or and that he's supposed to do. But there's a problem with this marriage. There is no lovemaking going on. No intimacy going on. Now, before you get too excited about that or up in arms, whichever the case may be, let me show you a picture or tell you about a picture. You know, intimacy looks different at different stages. And there is a picture of an old man and an old woman sitting in a swing, hand in hand. She's got her head laid over on his shoulder and he's looking at her smiling. Their whole world is wrapped up in each other. And that's what Jesus wants us to be like. He wants our whole world to be wrapped up in Him. You know, if, if you poll people in a marriage relationship and says, what's important to you? How, 
I don't know, there'd be a lot of things, but high on the list, they would want to feel loved. They would want to feel needed. They would want to feel valued. And they would want to feel secure in their relationship with each other. And when you let those things go and don't attend to them, over a period of time, it will become neglect. And neglect leads to bad things. You know, Jesus wants, he wants, he wants to be the one to supply our needs. He wants to be the one to comfort us when we need to be comfort. We, we don't need to turn to a bottle. Uh, he wants to be our all in all. And our relation, our marriage relationship is a unique relationship. It's the only thing like it in the world. It's the only time that you will ever hear of two people becoming one. Most, uh, most all of y'all know Jeff, and some of you know my daughter. And, and I love my kids. I'd give my life for either one of them, you know. And, and, and they love me. They, I think, have some degree of respect for me. But my kids and my love for my kids does not supersede my love for my wife. It's designed by God that way. And, and what these folks have got, it's like the people that get so busy, they've got a common goal. They're still together. They're raising their kids, bringing them up. But they don't, they don't take time for each other, you know. And then the kids grow up and move off. And that's why you hear people that's been married 30 years getting a divorce. That does not compute. You know, uh, but it happens. And it happens often because they found out they no longer have anything. All that they've been working for is gone. That's why, you know, now I know I'm in over my head right here. And I, I, I do not, I'm not qualified to be a marriage counselor or anything like that. But you, we would be well off when we find ourselves drifting away from our spouse. Hey, Mama and Papa. Keep the kids this weekend. We're going off just me and her. You know, they ain't nothing wrong with occasional honeymoon every once in a while. You know, to, to, uh, to reacquaint yourself. Hey, that person is the most important person in your life. You know, so... Take some time and, and be their everything, like the picture of the old man and the old woman, you know, all wrapped up in each other. I, 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 th I think that's a great picture. And um, this church, this is what happened to that church. They've got so busy doing ministry that... Now, they're not doing it because they love Jesus. They're doing it out of obligation because it's expected of them. It's what I've always done, this or that. And that's what Jesus is talking about here when he says, you don't love me like you once did. You know, when what happens is, you know, when, when you get saved, you know, especially 
uh, you know, you get say you're you're in. If you're if you get saved when you're adult, you know, and you are so thrilled with the thought of your sins being gone. When you first got saved, that's all you wanted to talk about. How, how Jesus, what he done for you, you know. How your sins are gone. But, but what happens is, over a period of time, you know, you kind of forget. You, you're so wrapped up in, in what you're doing within the ministry that you're working in, you kind of forget how bad sin is. You know, and you, you you drift away from those things. And, and well, you know, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe I wasn't so, so bad, you know. But uh, it, it, is, uh, it, it is real easy. Life makes it easy for people just to drift along and you're so wrapped up in doing this. If it's, if it's family, you're so wrapped up in taking care of everyday problems and, and these problems all the time. Seem, I told Linda the other day, hey, life ain't much fun anymore. There's only problems. There's no solutions anymore. Because if you, when a problem rises up over here, you kind of take care of it, and it that takes that causes a problem here. You know, it's I I'm I'm overwhelmed most of the time. You know, I there's so many needs within the church. I can't even remember everything that I'm supposed to be praying about anymore. You know, because, you know, people will call you and say, pray for this and pray, you know. And and I don't carry a, a pad and pencil around with me to write things down. So, you know, it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed. And uh, this, so this church, their big problem is that no, no, they're doing good things. They're doing everything right. And they're they're being uh, commended for it, but and in the church world it looks great. Looks like they're really got it everything together. But for God's concerned, if you're not doing it because of your love for Jesus, you know it's it's not it's not profiting you. You know, our motivation should really be our love for Jesus. Now, just as a marriage, sometimes when you kind of drift apart, needs some repair, sometimes our relationship with Jesus needs some repair. And if, when we get to that point, the first thing I re recommend doing to really develop a love for Jesus is to read the book of Le Leviticus. And if you'll read that book of Leviticus, you'll be so thankful for Jesus coming that you won't know what to do hardly. You know? And, and if that don't work, remind yourself. You, you, here, I hadn't got to this verse yet. Uh, but, but after he says, you've left your first love, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. Now, now remember, what if, what if Jesus had not agreed to leave heaven? He was in a place of where... It was untold magnificence and glory. And he had everything there. But he laid all that aside to come to earth to make it possible 
for us to be redeemed to God. We couldn't do it ourselves. So remember that Jesus came, agreed to leave a wonderful place to come to this earth to make it possible for you to go there. After he came, he lived a sinless life. And he paid, he became a sin offering for us. He paid the price for us that, that we couldn't pay. And when you think, you know, when you think on this line of thinking, you will redevelop a love for Jesus, I think. You know, uh, anyway, you know, you, you don't, a, a good marriage, you don't get married and just put it on automatic pilot and coast, coast on and, and expect much out of that marriage. Same way with the Christian life. You, you don't get just saved and then, uh, okay, that's it. I'm just going to coast right on into heaven. Uh, you know, they, there is some, some work to be done. You've got to press your way in, you know. Um, after, after he tells them to remember from where they have fallen... Remember, therefore, from whence are fallen and repent and do the, the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Now, there's, there's some Christians that have the idea. I, I have heard people say, well, I got the, I got the whole, I got filled with the Holy Ghost fifty years ago, and I ain't sinned since then. <laughs> Tony knows who I'm talking about, but you know that is unreal expectation. Jesus taught in the model prayer when you pray. Not if you pray, when you pray. And then he gives us the model prayer. And down there, after a little bit, he says, and you pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus is telling you, you need to repent. We we may not go, we may as as church members never go out and do some of the things that are that the world associates with sin but a bad attitude toward Jesus is sin and sometimes we we have to repent of of that sin you know of having a bad attitude you know I, I've had to do that. You know, when, when the Lord's dealing with you, wanting a little of your time, and you're saying, Lord, I'm old. I ain't got much time left. Let me do this right here as long as I can while I still can. You know? Uh, but we have, to, we have to adjust. We have to repent of that. It can be a lot of things that that we have, you know. Uh, we we ha we 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 are in a spiritual warfare, and we're not we're not we're not fighting each other neither. It's not. 
Hal back there is not my problem. He, he, he ain't causing my trouble. My problem comes mostly from self-inflicted. I'm my own biggest problem, you know. And that, that's the way, that's, that's just the way it is. Now, after, after Jesus has, has told them to remember from where they have fallen and to repent, or he's going, you know, he says, I'm going to come and move the candlestick out of its place. Now, you know, you can, you, can have, you can be a congregation without giving any light. Just because you're a congregation don't mean you're, you're lighting up the world. You know, the church is, we're, we're supposed to be the light of the world. You know, so he tells them to repent or that he's going to come and remove the candlestick out of its place. But then he says, but this one thing that you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, the word for hate there is a real strong word. It means, it means to find something repulsive. There's a couple of things, and I do my best not to think of them, but sometimes when when I'm not expecting it, there'll be something that will trigger a response in me to a certain thing. And when I think of it, when I think of this one thing, I have to, re I have to repress the desire to throw up. That's what it's talking about here, hating something that bad, you know, doesn't say that Jesus didn't say, I hate the Nicolaitans. He said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And I've got, I've got a few minutes left here that I'm going to talk about the Nicolaitans. Now, two of the early church historians, and I may butcher these names, one of them is Irenaeus, and the other one was Hippolytus. Say that the Nicolaitans were a sect, and there's not a whole lot that's known about this group of people. But they say that they were followers of Nicholas that's talked about in chapter 6 of Acts. The Nicholas that was a proselyte from Antioch. He come out of paganism, converted to Judaism, and then became a Christian. And they say that that, the, that those, this sect were followers of his. Now that was a little bit before my time, and I don't, I mean, you know, that's what history says. I wasn't there when George Washington crossed that river and you know, but I'm convinced that he did, you know, so I'm going to take these historians' word for it, you know. Uh, anyway, that's what they said, and they, I mean, that, that's early, way back there, uh, like in A.D. 300, I think, when, when they wrote some of those writings. Uh, I might be wrong on that timetable, but... Uh, Anyway, and, and here's what the followers of Nicholas did. 
He, he had converted to Christianity, but his roots were in paganism. And he come to the point to where he says, well, it's okay. You can still be a Christian and still participate in these paganist rituals. You know, now they were in they were in a place and a culture where where that was that was the norm. You know, it it wasn't the unusual, and they taught they they were primarily teaching that it was that it was. Uh, okay to participate in these paganist religion, rituals and, and participating in, in, in sexual immorality. They were saying that the body is basically evil and it's going to pass away anyway, so it doesn't matter what the body does, but as long as the spirit, you know, they were, they were holding on, trying to hold on to Christianity and still being involved in paganism. Now that is an old religion, but it is still very common today. What they were teaching was a life of compromise. It's okay to compromise. Here's, here's the way paganism, I mean, not paganism, but I, I, have, a, I have a tough time with words. I do a lot better with numbers. I'm a math person, Derek, I'm not a literary person. And it's hard for me to say Nicolaitans. I keep wanting to say Nickelodeons, but that's a different thing. <laughs> but uh, here's what that, here's the way it operates today. When, when you're under Nicolaitanism, there is no emphasis placed on holy living and separating from the world. When you, when you take it to its conclusion, that one characteristic, it does away with the need, it does away with sin and the need for repentance, you know. You know, that's, there's no emphasis on doctrinal teachings of, of biblical doctrine. I could not believe it when I, when I heard that the majority of people today that from time to time attend church, call themselves Christians, but they they have they don't they have no concept of biblical. They don't they don't know the doctrine of the virgin birth, of a sinless life of Jesus, of of. Of sin and the need for repentance and and for judgment, you don't hear that. They don't. Uh, the majority of people don't hear that. Now, I I couldn't believe that. But folks, we live in what is called the Bible Belt of the country, and folks here are a lot different than you'll find in other other places where these things 
they're not taught. They're not taught that. They don't. They can't, they can't, they have no concept of the virgin birth. There's no emphasis placed on absolute truth. You know, they just, a life of, Oh well, that—that's your opinion. This this opinion over here might be right, you know. Uh, and there's no exclusionary belief, and and this is prevalent. We hear it a lot. There's no exclusionary beliefs that Christ alone is the way to heaven. They say, oh, there's many paths that lead to heaven, you know. Um, Only through Jesus is the only way, you know. There is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And you see... You see it on bumper stickers. Coexist. You know. Uh, well, Islam is is okay. It's just a different path to heaven, you know. But if if you study Islam, Allah and Jehovah is not the same God. God, Jehovah wants to be involved with your life. He loves you, and and he sent his son to pay the price in order for you to be reunited with him. Allah doesn't care. I mean, he's just, he's apart from everything. He's not involved with anything that's going on, and he's not going to get involved with anything that's going on. And and if you carry this doctrine of Nicolaitism, and this and and this, here's the end result of of Nicolaitism, and this is why Jesus hated it so bad. It produces a perilous weakened version of Christianity where where sin is tolerated separation from the world is ignored and need for ongoing repentance is disregarded it is no when the when the when this is the predominant theory of the church world and and it, it seems to be. It is no wonder people are asking, how come the church has lost its influence? Well, you when they operate like that, you can't. Why would anybody want it? You're the same as they are. There's no difference. You know. Uh, In the concluding verse of these, uh, this church to Ephesus, it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, the letter was written to the church. But if the church don't respond, here's provision that's made for you as an individual. You know, it comes down to you 
have making the choice. And, and this is, is every one of us is, is going to have to give an account for that. Um, you know, when Jesus said, if you don't repent, I'm going to come and remove the candlestick out of its place. A few years ago, Linda and Stephanie went to where the ancient city of Ephesus was and took a tour there. And there is not a record of one single Christian living in that area. They did not repent, evidently, because that whole place no longer exists. You know, I... I, I I want to be honest with myself. And like everybody else that falls into a long-term relationship. I've been a Christian a long time. I can, I can, I've not always lived Christ-like. But I can never remember a time in my life when I did not want to be a Christian. I got saved at an early age, you know. And all my life, I've tried to live this way. And I find myself some, from time to time, just you get, you get in the flow and you just sometimes you, you get out of the habit of attending to what you need to attend to. When communication in a marriage is cut off, most of the time that marriage will not last. If you cut the communication off, you're not communicating. It's, it really is not a marriage anymore. You're just coexisting. It's the same way with our relationship with Jesus. We have to keep the lines of communication open. And I know, you know, God talks to a lot of people, and I, I believe that he still speaks to people. But I am convinced that the greatest majority of the time that God's going to speak to us is when we're right in here. Because if right in here is where, if, if he was here and you were t back and forth, an open conversation with him, he'd be talking about what's in here. You remember when Jesus was resurrected and his two disciples was on the road to Emmaus and he joined them and they got to talking about what was going on. You know, if uh, Jesus would have been one of them TBN preachers, he'd say, now, if you'll give me a little money, I'll tell you about what it's like to die and come back to life. He did not, you know what he done? He was talking to them. He expounded unto them the scriptures. That's what he talked about. He didn't talk about them, what it was like to die and come back to life. You know, that's how important this is. That's, that's what's on the mind of Jesus. Right here's what he would say to you if he sat down beside you, physically sat down beside you and talked to you. I'm convinced he'd still tell you about the things that's right in here because they're still relevant today. And 
I was supposed to quit before 8 o'clock. So, no, I'm, I'm through. I've, I've got through these seven verses, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not going to uh, elaborate no further. I'm about so weak, I'm going to have to sit down before I fall down. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Marvelous. That's what I call him. That same couple he was talking about that was sitting with her with her head on his shoulder and holding hands in communication, he turned to her and said, I'm proud of you. She just glared at him and knocked him off in the floor and said, I'm tired of you too. So it's not just coexistence and intimacy, it's understanding where each are coming from. So thank you, Brother Marvin. I mean, he was fired up about Ephesus, and, and you could tell it, and I really enjoyed listening to him. Next week, we're going to, I think Smyrna is next, and Brother Paul Dyer, and he asked me if I would relate to you uh, that he was going to try to get back tonight, but he went to UT Medical Center to be with Reese Thomas and his son, Michael. So Keep praying for that situation because Michael is being sent home on hospice, so uh, that whole family needs our prayers. So it's been great to be with the Lord and in his house with like believers, and we can't wait till next week. I'm looking forward to looking back when we get to heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, for this service. Lord, we thank you, dear Lord, for opening our ears that we might understand, that we might hide your word in our heart, that we might not sin against you. And Lord, continue to be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of God. Amen and amen. God bless you.